One of the joys of pastoring a church with a lot of young men is walking them through the process of pursuing marriage, thinking about marriage, pursuing a wife, and walking them through all of that. It is actually one of the joys of my life to to mentor men in that process. And one of the most interesting times is when I encourage them, if you want to get married, you need to get married and you need to talk to her father. You need to ask for his blessing as you pursue this marriage, as you take her hand in marriage. You need to get his permission. And for some of them, that is a moment of great anxiety because for a lot of times they don't know what the father is going to say which I think is odd. You have no clue. You've been dating this girl, but sometimes in unique situations like mine, it makes sense. Because I remember when I asked Danae's dad if I could marry her. We had uh, met in Birmingham, Alabama. She's from Florida. I'm from Tennessee. We met in August 1997 We decided to date. Our first date was on October uh, the 18th, or actually it was the 17th, and I remember that because Peyton Manning beat Alabama the next day on October the 18th, and so it's not because I just remember dates. I just remember that was his last game against the Crimson Tide, and we won uh, very decidedly on that day, but I remember uh, that, and then uh, around January 1998, just a few months later, we said, we need to get married. And so I had to ask her dad. And I'd only met him once. And I'd only talked to him on the phone once. Remember, he lives in Orlando, Florida. And the speed at which we had decided we're going to get married, um, it was no shock to me that he did not give me his blessing immediately just because he didn't know me. But it was a shock to me that there was really no answer to the question. Hey, I would like to marry your daughter. Danae and I are thinking about getting married. Yeah, it will probably be August this year. And it was almost, it was this awkward silence. It was this moment where I'm expecting, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And it was nothing. It was silence on the phone. And I remember having to say, so is this okay? And his response was, we'll see. And that was it. And I remember going to Danae, and what did he say? And I said, really nothing, maybe, we'll see. Let's talk about it. But, but what happened in our lives from that January, February, all the way till April, when he finally said, yeah, you can marry my daughter, What happened in that time was a lot of anxiety, just thinking about our future. What are we going to do? Are we getting married? What are we going to be doing this time next year? Where are we going to live? How are we going to work this out? And we had no clue what was going to happen. And our lives were full of fear, anxiety, and just the unknown. And to be honest with you, it was a really miserable time in my life. And Danae finally got miserable with it too, and she talked to her parents. She said, you know what? We're probably going to get married with or without your blessing, and so we ended up getting married. But that time of fear, anxiety, unknown, after the request is made, is how a lot of you feel after you get up from praying. 
Because prayer for you is just this wishful hope. And and you're just putting it out there because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And you get up and walk away from your prayer, prayer closet not knowing the answer, not knowing what God is going to do. And there's so much anxiety. Sometimes even praying can cause more anxiety in your life. Because you're expecting something, and it doesn't come immediately. There's no immediate answer. And for that reason, we have to go back and remember what prayer is. We talked about this in the first sermon. Prayer, very simply, is asking God to do what He said He would do. What God promised to do. It's one of the reasons we said our prayer life must be word-centered. Because we come before the Word of God and we're taking our request, our desires, and we're harnessing it with the Word of God. And then we pray back to God. After being in your Word, now I want what you want. Do it, God. Fulfill your promises. And prayer is not just getting what you want. It's not just getting an answer. It's aligning your heart to what God wants by the power and authority of His Word. And it's exactly what, how Jesus teaches us to pray in what's been described as the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I prefer to call this the Son's Prayer. This is how a son prays, a child of God before his father. This is how we are to pray and ask our father. But if you notice throughout this prayer, it is asking God to do what he has promised to do. Asking God to bring his glory, his kingdom, his will into the world. That's how this prayer begins, and that is how we are to ask. That is what we are to ask for. And that will change the way you walk away from your prayers. Because you already have an answer. God's going to do what he has promised to do. He's going to glorify his name He's going to make his kingdom known. He's going to bring his will into the world. It is your heart that is aligned with those things. But notice verse 9 again as Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And the first thing we pray for is God's glory. Remember verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, through the gospel, through adoption, Jesus' Father is our Father. In him, in him we are seen as Christ. In Him, we are heard. We have the same rights to pray as Christ prayed. In Him, we are loved by the Father in heaven. Notice in heaven, the highest rule, the one with all authority who rules in heaven. He is our Father. And so what are we to ask Him for? Right off the bat, Jesus says this, hallowed be your name. Now, some of us have read those words our whole life, and we thought that's just beginning with praise. When you pray, you should begin with praise. That's actually a prayer request. Jesus is saying when you pray, you ask God to hallow his name. The word hallow, look at it. Hallow, it means to be set apart. It means to be exalted. It means to be valued and treasured. God's name is hallowed because it is in a class by itself. 
It is set apart from all other names. It is distinct. God is other than. He is not like us. He is not like His creation. He is, he is other than. He is holy, 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 which means He is different and his differentness is different, and his differentness that is different is different and distinct from us. He is not like us. And so this prayer, we're not saying, God, make yourself distinct. He's already distinct. Notice it is his name that is to be hallowed. God, I know you're not like me. And so right off the bat, I pray Make your name, your reputation through all the earth known. Make it known among all the world that you're not like. I know this because you're holy, holy, holy. Now, make your reputation known, your holy reputation known. And so we are praying to our Father, make yourself famous. Glorify yourself. Show creation and all the world who you are. We are to pray and ask for God's glory to be known in all the earth. That is our chief prayer request. And why is that? Why is it that all other prayer requests should fit into that prayer request? Whatever you ask God for, chief on the list is glorify your name. Why is that? Because that prayer request is guaranteed to be answered. That's why God created the world, to make his name known. And so you can pray that knowing he's going to answer that with a yes, an amen. His name will be hallowed. It will be glorified. It is a guarantee that that will happen. And remember what prayer is? Asking God to do what he promised to do. He will glorify his name. But why else? Well, we understand from the Bible that God's glory and what is good for us is not distinct. God has ordered human history to make his glory known through doing good for his people. And so when you are praying for God's glory, you're also praying for your greatest good. God, glorify your name. And we know, we've talked about this around here, that God God has staked his name on his faithfulness. I am, the great I am. I do what I say I will do. That's how I want to be known in the world is being faithful. And so he's going to glorify his name by always doing what he said he would do. And so that's what we're praying. God, glorify your name because I know that's going to be good for me. You're going to display your faithfulness when you glorify your name. And I need you to be faithful and I need your faithfulness. So glorify your name. And we see this with Jesus in John 17, verse 1. Jesus prays this. The Son prays this to the Father. It says, when he had spoke, spoken these words, he lifted up his head and said, Father. And so, John 17, 1, how does Jesus ask for God to hallow his name, for his name to be glorified? The hour has come, glorify your Son. How does Jesus ask for God's name to be hallowed? Glorify your son. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, Jesus was marching to the cross. And John says that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up on a pole. He's going to be lifted up in a crucifixion. And His glory in that crucifixion is going to be displayed. And Jesus is saying here, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. It's time for me to die. Notice the text continues that your Son may glorify you. Jesus is praying that that God would glorify His name through His crucifixion. That He would be lifted up. And, And one more time, we know that when God does this for His glory, it's for our good. Think about the cross. God's name is hallowed at the cross through Jesus being lifted up. Jesus is lifted up as a sufficient sacrifice, the the victor over sin and death, the only one who could defeat sin and death. He is glorified. That is the way the Son is glorified on the cross. And in that, the Father is also glorified. How? The Father is seen as the one who gave the Son. And so He is glorified as being faithful and loving and merciful in giving the Son. And so God's glory is wrapped up in the cross and your good is wrapped up in the cross. But notice again how Jesus prays for this. A Son who knows the Father is good prays, glorify your name no matter what. That's how you should pray. Hallow your name, no matter what it means for me. It meant for Jesus a crucifixion that God would display his glory. I wonder if you're willing to pray that. Well, the question would be, do you believe the Father is good? And and when you choose to glorify his name, when he is exalted, his faithfulness is going to be displayed, and your good will be achieved. That's what happened at the cross for you. And when your faith is rooted in the cross, that's how you pray. Father, hallowed be your name. And for me, no matter what, make your name famous. No matter what, no matter if I'm not famous, you have a reputation of being faithful. Even if I lose my reputation, I will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten that your name would be exalted. Father, hallowed be your name in my suffering. Even if it means I have to go through this dreadful, horrible time, I want you to be glorified. If I have to suffer to prove you are still good in suffering, I want your name to be hallowed. If I have to be persecuted and alienated for preaching the name of Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my safety. You be glorified as being faithful. Even if I have to suffer, even if I go through trial, tribulation, my prayer is that your name would be hallowed. That's how a son who knows the Father is good prays. Father, give me grit and courage to give Go and speak, proving to everyone around me that your name is worthy of this. That's how you pray for God's name to be hallowed. Pray, God, you be famous no matter what it means for me. But notice the next petition. We are to ask for God's glory no matter what, and then we ask for God's kingdom above everything else. Notice verse 10. Your kingdom come. Now, this idea of kingdom in the Bible 
It always refers to God's rule and reign. It is the sphere or realm in which God has all authority and all power. That is the kingdom of God. That that is the rule of God in the world. And so here he says, your kingdom come. And he's referring to earth as we'll see in the next petition. Your kingdom come to this planet. Now why do we need, I know it's raining, some of you getting sleepy, you need to stand up and walk around, that's totally fine. People do that are in here anyway. So, your kingdom come to this planet. Why do we need his rule and reign on this planet? Because God's rule has been, his full rule has been removed from this planet in some ways. In the garden, when Adam sins, Adam says, I'm not listening, I'm not surrendering to your word, your rule, God, I'm going to do whatever I want to. God curses the world, and the fullness of life and goodness in this planet that comes from God's word, surrendering to God's word, and living under his authority is removed. The earth is cursed. There's sin and death. And so our prayer is, God, bring your rule back to earth. Bring your reign back to earth. And and we see this throughout the Bible. We see little flickers of God's kingdom coming into the world. We see Israel. They were established as a nation around God's presence. Through the sacrificial system, God's presence would come down. It meant his kingdom, his rule would come down upon them and they would be governed by him. We, we see through signs and wonders in the Old Testament, we have these leaders and heroes, and, and they're doing these miraculous things, parting the Red Sea, making time stand still. All of these amazing things, we are seeing God asserting his authority and rule in the world. But it's just flickers until we get to Jesus. And when Jesus walks on the planet in flesh and blood, Hands and feet, eyes, nose, and a mouth. He says, in me, in my flesh and blood, the kingdom is at hand. And he says to us, I'm going to show you what God's rule looks like. And so he walks up to folks who haven't walked their whole life. And he walks up to sick people who've been sick their whole life. And he speaks to them. And they can see. And they can walk. And he says right there in that window, what you just saw is the kingdom at hand. This is the kingdom that is coming back into the world one day, right here in my word, in my presence, as I speak. He stands on the side of a boat and he looks at his creation that is raging and warring and it's out of control and he speaks and the water's calm. There's no chaos, there's peace. And he says right there is the window into the rule and reign of God that eventually is going to come back to earth. What was lost in the garden, God's authority and God's power, here it's in my word. And he had the gall to stand outside of a first century coffin and speak the name of Lazarus come forth after he had been dead, after he'd been wrapped up in the tomb. 
And his friend walks forth and he says, right there is the authority. Right there is the power of God. There it is. The kingdom has come in my presence. The kingdom has come in my rule. And that is what we are to pray for. That Jesus' presence and his rule would come to earth so that we would see no sickness, so that we would see no chaos, so that we would see no death. But then in the book of Acts, we see even something more spectacular. He promises that this same presence that you've seen, this authority, will rest upon you And he tells the church in the book of Acts, you're going to go throughout the world and you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. And you're going to preach the gospel. And as you preach the gospel, this same power that came through my word is going to rest upon you. And in the book of Acts, as they preach the gospel and people begin to believe the gospel, one of the things we see in the book of Acts is signs and wonders. The same kind of signs and wonders we saw with Jesus. What is Jesus saying in the book of Acts? In my church, as they preach the gospel, God's kingdom is at hand. And so we see that God's kingdom is present with Jesus. We also see God's kingdom is present with the church as they preach the gospel throughout the world. People who gather around this declaration, Jesus is king, there is the kingdom. Churches throughout the world are embassies, outposts of the kingdom where it is present. You stood earlier in reverence to the reading of Jesus' words. There is the authority of Christ right there in that moment. The kingdom is at hand. And so when you pray your kingdom come, that's what you're praying for. You're praying for God's rule and reign to come into the world through the preaching of His Word. The same words that cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the dead to rise are present in the words of Christ as the church preaches the words of Christ. The Spirit rests upon the words of Christ. There is the kingdom. And so you're praying your kingdom come. And so one of your first prayer requests should be for your church. You should pray. Glorify your name. And bring your kingdom into Ashland Church. God, I pray that your word would always be preached in that place. And I pray that your spirit would always use your word among those people. That's what, that should be a part of your prayer request. That his kingdom would come in this place for these people here and now, Ashland Church, in every ministry. When you think about BFG, what do we need for our BFG? We need the kingdom to come through the word and spirit and shape our hearts and shape our desires. We need the kingdom to come into our hearts. What do we need for our kids? We need the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel to come into our children's ministry. What do we need for our students? We need the kingdom to come through the word of God in our students. What do we need on campus? We need the kingdom to come through the preaching of the word of God on campus. That is what we're praying for. That's what we're asking God to do. Hallowed be your name by bringing your kingdom into the world. We pray that we would spread that kingdom through planting of churches. That's what we're doing in church planting. Is we're creating little outposts by the power of God and the Spirit and the Word of God 
sending people out to preach and plant churches, little embassies, little outposts of the kingdom where Jesus is king, where a group of people gather and surrender to his word. That's what we're doing in church planning. And so our mission efforts should be a part of your prayer request. God, I pray that you would bring your kingdom to New Orleans. I pray that you would bring your kingdom to Peru. I pray that you would bring your kingdom in the Middle East where we've sent folks out to plant churches. Your kingdom come through your church. But some of us, that is a foreign prayer request. Not just because it has to do with Ashland Church, but because you want to have a friendly alliance to Jesus' kingdom. You don't necessarily want to surrender to it. And so your, your first question is it, how, how can you bring your kingdom into the world through the preaching of the gospel, missions, church planning? How can you bring your kingdom into the world through me sharing the gospel? You're thinking in your prayer request, how can God bless your kingdom? Because you think Jesus is a subcontractor to what you want. And so you are to gather before him and say, Jesus, how are you bringing your kingdom into the world? Help me be a part of that. I pray that I would be a part of that. I'll be honest with you, one of the most disheartening things in my life right now as a pastor is to look at so many people who are wasting their life on the sandcastles of this world. It's disheartening. Jesus said this, when he says, I want to tell you about the kingdom, it's like a man who built his house on sand. And what happened? The wind and the waves, great sermon illustration today, they come in and they wash that sand house away. It's not there anymore. And so many of you, your hearts aren't geared to the kingdom because you are making sandcastles. And the kingdom of God is marching right by and you're waving at it. You're not mad at it. You just haven't given your heart over to it. You're just not plugged in to it. You're negotiating with Jesus. I, I, I'll play nice with your kingdom, but still let me have some things to myself instead of giving ourselves over to the kingdom. What Jesus calls us to do here is when we pray thy kingdom come, it means we're going to give all of our time, all of our resources, we're going we're to build, we're going to invest into his kingdom, the preaching of his word through the power of the spirit to the ends of the earth, making disciples. And so I wonder if you're happy with the houses you're building on condemned land. This week in New Orleans, I, I think everybody I shared the gospel with, we got to one point, and it didn't matter. There were rich white folks that I was sharing the gospel with, and, and then there were poverty-stricken African-American and Hispanics. And we all came to the same conclusion at some point. This world isn't a very happy place. The things of this world are washing away. And so I wonder why you're still clinging to it. And so one of your first prayer requests should be, may your kingdom come into my heart. Jesus taught his disciples not just to pray for the kingdom, but to seek the kingdom. He said, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, its rule, its reign, and then everything else you need will be given to you. 
food, clothing, what you need to survive. But you seek first the kingdom. Give yourself over to the kingdom first. And how do you do that? Well, today, if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus as your king, I invite you today into the kingdom. I invite you today to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your king, the one who's defeated sin for you, defeated death for you. He's ruling at your right hand. I invite you to follow him, to bow down before him. And what God promises is when you do that, you will be born again. You will be born of a new kingdom. And you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And so if that's never happened for you today, I plead with you in this moment that you would pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come into my heart. Give me Jesus. Give me forgiveness of sin. Give me victory over death. Give me your eternal rule. God, would you make me a new creation? Bring your kingdom into my heart. If you need to get on your hands and knees and plead for that in this moment, please do. But also, those of us who claim to be Christians, that should be a part of our prayer request. Hallowed be your name, God. Well, how am I going to do that? And he's going to say back to you by you aligning your life with my kingdom and what I'm doing in the world. And so you need to spend time in prayer going, how is my life aligned with the kingdom? How is the kingdom coming into the world through my life, my witness, how I'm using my time, how I'm using my resources? What am I doing to see the kingdom as, I, as the word of God is preached, as Jesus is lifted up, that the spirit would use me and my efforts to bring the kingdom into the world? Align my heart with your kingdom. Your kingdom come as your church preaches the gospel. Your kingdom come as we believe the gospel. Your kingdom come as we align our hearts with the gospel. But notice the last petition. We ask for the glory of God. We ask for the kingdom of God. And we ask for heaven. Notice, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This word will, it refers to desire. It refers to good pleasure. It refers to what God wants. And so the third petition here is God glorify your name, bring your kingdom in the world. And then it's God do what you want to do. You do what you want to do again, because we know that's for our good. God, your will be done. But notice the explanation of Jesus here on earth, here in this place, on this planet, as it is in heaven. And so he gives us a window here to think about what his will is. It's what's going on in heaven right now. So ask yourself the question, what's going on in heaven? Because that's what I want here. What is going on in heaven? Well, Revelation tells us that everything is bowed down before the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain. Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven. He is at the right hand of God. He is heaven's king. He is being served. His name is being made known in heaven. And so that's what we're praying for here, that, that Jesus would be king. He would be worshiped. He would be served. We pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the way the Bible ends, is that 
Jesus' kingdom, this city, comes down to the new Jerusalem. And Jesus rules and reigns there. Some of you like this world so much that you can't fathom heaven being better. And and right now in your heart, you say, I I don't want to go to heaven. Good, you don't have to because heaven's coming here. It's coming down. Now, you're not going to be a part of it if you don't believe and follow Jesus. But that's the picture of all things being consummated as heaven comes to earth. And so that is what he's calling us to pray for. Heaven, heaven, come to earth. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Rule and reign. The end of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We, we want you to come quickly and rule and reign. And again, God has promised that's what he will do. We see the end of the story. And so as we pray that, we know that's going to happen. And what a time in human history to long for that. And for that to be a part of your prayer. For you to pray, Father, would your will be done on every square inch of this planet? Would you bring it all into submission to Christ? Would you bring back the life that was in the garden where this place would be void of sin and death because everything obeys you? Father, would your will be done as we see breathtaking tragedy, as we see natural disasters, as we see lies and confusion and, and reality and truth is distorted? Would, you, would your will be done and would you bring Christ Would you bring the light of truth into the world where he can rule and reign? Would you you end poverty? Would you end racism? Would you end domestic abuse? Would you assert your will in King Jesus? Would you remove and replace every ruler and every leader that we know, the good ones, the bad ones, the corrupt ones, every government system? Father, would you replace it with authority and with your will in Christ? That should be a part of your prayer. And when that's a part of your prayer, you know it will be answered because he's promised it. So we pray, God, glorify your name, bring your kingdom, and your will be done. And we stop here. Some of you go, well, that's all about God. I wonder if you have a problem with that. I wonder if you go, that's all about God. What about me? Well, maybe you don't understand when God glorifies his name and his kingdom comes and his will's done, what's in it for you. Maybe you don't get that. But here we're asking God to do what he promised to do. And remember, prayer isn't getting what you want. It's harnessing your heart to what God said he would do. And what you need. Jesus is giving you what you need in this prayer. You need your heart to be aligned with this God-centered request. And your contentment is going to be found in these promises that he would glorify his name, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And I guarantee you this. Take me up on this offer this week. If you begin to pray, God, glorify your name, and you begin to reflect on God's glory and his faithfulness in your life and his promises, you know what's going to happen? All of those worries, all of those fears, all of those anxieties are going to get what they need, what the name of Christ that's going to overwhelm them. If you begin to pray this week, God, your kingdom come, 
and your heart is set on the rule and reign of Christ invading this world, and you begin to pray for those things, what's going to happen in your life is your treasure and your contentment is going to be found in the kingdom that is coming. And you're going to say, I get to witness the kingdom no matter what I have in my life, no matter what I don't have in my life. I'm going to be where my feet are and I'm going to witness the kingdom. And I have enough to do that because I have the gospel as you pray God's kingdom come. His kingdom's going to come into your heart. His faithfulness is going to come into your heart. As you pray, His will be done. As you look at the world and you despair, you look at your own life and you despair and you stop and say, Your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And by the way, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, bring the full rule into the world. You know what's going to happen in your heart? You're going to go from despair to hope. If you're willing to pray this way, God begins the prayer, the Lord's prayer, with it being all about him. Why? Because you need him more than you need anything else. You need his name. You need his kingdom more than anything else. And then also this, as we close, notice how these prayers are answers to the prayer. You're praying, hallowed be your name. As you are hallowing his name. That's an answer to prayer. You're hallowing his name in the very act. It is an answer to the prayer. You're praying your kingdom come. Who prays your kingdom to come? Those who long for the kingdom. And you're praying for it. That's happening in your heart. You're praying for his will to be done on earth. As you desire his will to be done on earth. And you are submitting to his will in the prayer. So Jesus is leading us to ask for things that are actually the very answers to what we're asking for. That you would glorify his name, ask for his kingdom. His kingdom would come and his will be done in your heart as you pray. And one of the reasons we pray in Jesus' name is because in Jesus' name, we have God's glory. We have his kingdom. And we have his will for our life. So we end that prayer in Jesus' name. Let's pray.